It was amazing watching people's Facebook updates about when they caught those, one of those two brothers. Before that, Osama bin Laden. Jesus says that we should love them. For some of us, it's homosexuals because they want to push their, quote unquote, what people would say their agenda on us. Jesus said we should love them. Some of us, it's the Republicans. Jesus says you should love them. And for some of you, it's the Democrats and our current president and the Supreme Court. There's pretty much no wiggle room there. <laughs> Pastor Daniel most certainly just described all of the various categories that we place ourselves in. And since the time that this message was shared at Crossroads Community Church, the Supreme Court of our land has legalized same-sex marriage. This is a topic that has become hotly debated in the body of Christ. Today, Pastor Daniel brings us back to a foundational truth about all sinners. We're called to love them and share the truth with them. It's commonly said that when God closes a door, he opens a window. It's a pretty common phrase. We've heard that a lot in our lives. I'm here to tell you that God never closes a door that doesn't need to be closed. And God never opens a window. He always opens an even greater door. That's the difference between kind of that simple, feel-good kind of quotes that we like and the reality of the biblical God. God doesn't open windows. God opens doors so wide. But God knows that certain doors for us need to be shut because God knows that oftentimes we just want what we want, right? How many of us know what it's like to try and bust down a door that God has closed. Anybody here? I'm not the only guy. All right, you guys, we all know what that's like. Don't think that when God closes a door, he opens a window. Because our Bibles tell us that God opens a door that no one can shut. And God shuts a door that no one could open. And I believe that what we're going to study today in Revelation chapter 3, the church at Philadelphia is... So appropriate for us. So turn there. Revelation chapter 3, picking up in verse 7. We're doing this series called The Case Study. Jesus' seven letters to the seven churches. And today we're at our sixth letter. And if you've ever studied these letters before, this is the, this is the church that everybody wants to see themselves and their church as a part of. The church in Philadelphia. Each letter applies to each one of us in different ways. But the church in Philadelphia has got it going all the way on. And no, it's not the Philadelphia in, in uh, Pennsylvania. It's, this is the, all of these places are in modern-day Turkey. But, but every church tradition wants to see themselves as the church of Philadelphia. They want to see themselves in their best possible light. And, and listen, I believe that every church, in a sense, is the church of Philadelphia. But we do want to take a, a balanced view, because I think every one of us, like we saw a few weeks ago when we saw the, the dead church in Sardis, 
Every church is a little dead like Sardis as well. God is doing a work in every church, in each person. But the church in Philadelphia, Jesus' diagnosis for this church is to just walk through. Just walk through. We like to say that here is just to simply respond to Jesus. Because God wants to use each one of us. God has opened doors for each one of us individually and for us as a church. Now, if you recall, Jesus is using the same checklist for each one of these churches. So we've been going over it every week because I want to make sure that we understand that Jesus, in his diagnostic checklist of each church, uses the same scale. So if you remember, the checklist begins with the revelation. Jesus is revealing himself in and through the church. That's why the church is here, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to reflect who God is for us in Jesus in the world. Now, if you study church history, you realize that the church always hasn't done a very good job of it. Maybe if you take a little bit more of a stern view, you find that the church maybe hasn't ever really done a great job of that. And like we like to say here, we can't live our Christian lives for another generation that failed. We have to take responsibility for our generation. So in each generation, the people of God need to say, what does it look like to reflect the love and truthfulness of God in the world? And we can look back on the ills of 10 years ago, 50 years ago, 500 years ago, 1,500 years ago. And we learn from it, but we say, what does it mean to let Jesus reveal himself in and through us today in Clark County, Washington, in the global village that we live in? So he begins with a revelation. This is who I am, Jesus says. And then he says, this is the good. This is what you're doing well. This is what you are exceedingly and excelling in. But Jesus is balanced. He doesn't just focus on the good, but then he gets into the bad. He's saying, look, this is where there is areas of struggle, areas of growth. These are things that you need to look at. And then there's the challenge. Jesus challenges each church. Why? Because the church is not perfected yet. No church is perfected yet. Each church and all of its members individually are in process. And Jesus does not hold a fatalistic view of our growth. He doesn't. God has things that he's doing, and we have things that we need to do. We need to be obedient to the Lord. God doesn't make us obedient. We choose obedience. Part of being created in the image and likeness of God, God has given us the opportunity to choose. God doesn't impose his will. What he does is he shapes us so that our will becomes like his will. But oftentimes that shaping comes through us simply saying, okay, Lord, I'll do what you ask. I'll do what you want. So there's the challenge. And then for those who take the challenge, for those who step up to the plate, so to speak, and say, God, I'm going to be here with you, then there's the promise. The promise to the overcomer. The promise to the person and the church that takes the next step. And Jesus has been using this in each one of these letters. Now, this sixth letter is to the church in Philadelphia. Now, that word Philadelphia, two words put together, phileo, and then Delphia, which means brotherly love, the city of brotherly love. Now, how many of you have ever been to Philly in, in Pennsylvania? Yeah, not so much, right, anymore? I grew up outside of New York, and so Phil, you know, Philadelphia fans and New York sports fans were always going at it. This city was named after brotherly love. 
The church in Philadelphia was 25 miles southeast of Sardis. So remember, we've been talking about all these churches. It was a gentle arch in modern-day Turkey. It began with Ephesus and then made a way around. And now we're over here in Philadelphia. It's going to be just one more letter to the church in Laodicea. What's interesting about this city is that it, it suffered from an earthquake in about 17 AD, and they received imperial assistance to begin to rebuild the city. I bring that out because of this earthquake. And you'll see it. There's some allusions to this earthquake in the letter. So it's important to realize that their most recent history was a huge earthquake there. So let's read together Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 to 13. It says this, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. In verse 8, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it for you have a little strength, have kept my word and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come to know or come to worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You can see why everyone likes this letter. This is a church that has been given great opportunity. Jesus says nothing negative about this church at all. But look at how it begins with the revelation. To the angel in the church in Philadelphia write in verse 7, these things say he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. This teaches us that Jesus is the true Messiah who opens doors. Jesus is the true Messiah who opens doors. These things say he who is holy and true. That's a pretty powerful statement from Jesus. Holiness was an attribute of God, which literally means to be wholly other, to be totally distinct. The book of Leviticus, and we're going to start studying that on our Wednesday night, it's coming in September. Leviticus is a challenging book to study, but the recurring theme is be holy as the Lord your God is holy. So when Jesus says, these things say he who is holy, he's saying he who is utterly distinct, set apart as God. And then not only holy, but holy and true. And what's interesting in the Greek word for this speaks about being true and not fake. It speaks about Jesus being totally genuine, 
completely real, without any falsehood or fakeness. That's why Jesus could say in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Now, all of our lives, all of our lives are lived based out of what a scholar would call our Christology, which means who we view Jesus to be. The way we understand Jesus drives our lives. And I believe that the Bible declares Jesus with what we could call an exceedingly high Christology, which means that Jesus, when he says, I am holy and true, then what that means is that Jesus is completely distinct and he is completely genuine. And so as you read the Gospels, as you watch the way Jesus relates to the world that he created, that he entered into to redeem us out of, we learn what does it mean to be truly human. If Jesus is true, if Jesus is holy, then that will impact the way that we live. Now, for those of us in here who have put their faith and trust in Jesus, we never tire of studying the life, the ministry, the sacrificial death, the resurrection, the ascension into heaven. We never tire of studying that because Jesus is not surface deep. Jesus is not an inch deep. And those of you who've been reading over and over in the Gospels for a long time, you realize that Jesus is much more complicated than we give him credit for. He's much more subversive, disruptive than we give him credit for. But if he's holy and true, we welcome his disruptions into our lives. I've been thinking about this a lot lately because I've been finding myself meditating on the Sermon on the Mount a lot lately, and I'm reading Jesus says that, that you should love your enemies and you should bless those who use you and should pray for those people who persecute you and do good by them. I mean, I started thinking, I'm like, so, okay, so Jesus told us that we should love our enemies. And I'm like, well, who are our enemies? Now, depending on where you sit in the world, everybody's got a long list of enemies. Now, I'm just talking about just the, the, the basic overarching enemies that the church finds, the, the Christian church finds, okay? And now, I'm not saying that we hold to this, but some of us do. Let me give you an example. When there was that bombing at the Boston Massacre, or at the Boston Marathon, excuse me, that bombing there. It was amazing watching people's Facebook updates about when they caught those, one of those two brothers. Before that, Osama bin Laden. Jesus says that we should love them. For some of us, it's homosexuals because they want to push their, quote, unquote, people would say their agenda on us. Jesus said we should love them. Some of us, it's the Republicans It says you should love them. And for some of you, it's the Democrats and our current president and the Supreme Court and Wall Street and the 99%. For some of you, it's the Tea Party. For some of you, it's the exceedingly liberals. For some of you, it's your neighbor or your spouse or your children or your parents. Now, if Jesus is holy and true, Whoever it is that you, and listen, in church, we know we're not supposed to hate anyone. We just don't really like them very much. We like to pasteurize it. 
But whoever it is who sits in that category, Jesus says, as a commandment, we should love them. Now, if Jesus is holy and true, then we either say, yes, Lord, and respond to him and say, God, I don't know how I'm going to do that. But you are lovable. You can love me. How do I love somebody else? Now, what's interesting is for those of you who are here today who maybe aren't Christian, you have a whole other set of people who you hate. And I'm quite sure that some of you in here, maybe at our, in our chapel right now, watching online, one of our other venues, some of you hate all of us here. And we're happy that you're here today because we love you. And we would love your love back. If Jesus is holy and true, that totally changes the way we live, doesn't it? It has to change us because he comes right in and he upsets the apple cart. And he's like, oh, no, no, you can't get away with that. You can't get away with living like that. I told you you should love your enemies. So whoever it is who you really don't like, you got to love them because he's holy and true. But we live in a culture, it's easy to dismiss Jesus. Disruptive, G. oh, yeah, he's just an old, you know, yeah, he's my Lord and Savior and stuff, but let's not get too serious about that Jesus stuff. But he's holy and true. So when Jesus says, love your enemy, if he is indeed holy and true, then you say, okay, Lord, I surrender. I, I give up, Lord. It's like the Lord's got a sleeper hold on each one of us. And at some point, he's got to tap out. I'm done, Lord. Okay, I'm going to love. Teach me how. He's the true Messiah, because only the Messiah is holy. Messiah has a long history in the Bible, God's anointed one. There's only one God who saves, and that God became a man, walked him on the earth. His name is Jesus. He was holy. Because he was holy and distinct, because he was flawless, he was a worthy sacrifice for us. He lived the life that we, did, that we should live, but we can't. He died the death that we deserved. Not only is he holy and true, but notice he opens doors. Because then all of a sudden you get this quote in here. He who is holy and true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. Now, this is a quotation from Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22. Isaiah 22, 22. And if you were to read this section, the few verses before and after, what you find is that the, this key of David, it alludes to an incident where the post of secretary of state was being moved from an unfaithful person named Shebna to the faithful Eliakim. So the idea was when somebody had the, and this was part of David's court. And so the key of David Somebody was entrusted by the king to open and shut doors, to allow entry and to close entry. And Shebna was unfaithful. And so God removed the keys from Shebna and he gave them to Eliakim, who was faithful. And once Eliakim was given these keys, he was told, listen, these are the keys of David. If you open, no one can shut it. If you shut, no one can open it. And now this is being applied to Jesus. This shows that Jesus has lordship over the house of David. Remember, in 2 Samuel 7, David was promised that on his throne, somebody would sit perpetually. They call it the Davidic covenant. And no doubt the Davidic covenant, it's why our Bibles, our New Testaments begin with the phrase, this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Because what Matthew is saying, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is that Jesus 
he becomes the keeper and the, and the recipient of all of Abraham's promises and all of David's promises. He's the fulfillment. He is the Messiah. But I love this. Jesus is saying, I have the keys of David. I open and no one can shut. I shut and no one can open. Jesus is the true Messiah who opens doors. Now, from there, look at what happens in verse 8. He says, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. So this is the good. And we can sum up this verse in two simple words. Be faithful. Be faithful. Because Jesus is saying, look, I know your works. He said that to almost every church, right? I, I know what you do. I know how you live. I know what you're all about. But notice what he says to them. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door. And no one can shut it. Wow. I mean, that's like a mega cool promise, isn't it? I'd open the door. No one, no one can shut it. And even though he goes on to say, he's like, but listen, you, you have a little strength, he says to them. You have kept my word. You have not denied my name. See, Jesus is saying to them, be faithful. I know, I know who you are. I've opened a door for you, and no one can shut it. Even though you don't feel exceedingly strong, you don't feel like you got it all going on, you've kept my word. You haven't denied my name. I've opened a door for you. And brothers and sisters, God has opened a door for each one of us and us as a church collectively. There are doors that are open before you that no one can shut. There are opportunities right in front of each one of us to grab hold of the life he's given us and do the work of the ministry right here, right now. But the question is, is are we faithful to the open door? So you know what happens for us? It's part of our culture. And, and listen, I do a lot of critiquing of our culture because I believe it's part of my job. Wherever our cultural values do not line up with what I believe to be biblical values, I have to critique it. We live in a day and age where we're always looking for the open door that comes later. Like, you go to school so that you can go to college. You go to college so that you can get a job, so that you can make a nice living, so that at some point you can get married, have kids, buy a house, collect a couple car payments, load up the credit card. Then you retire so that you can have fun until you die. I mean, is that, that's pretty honest, right? But you know what happens? Nobody ever grabs hold of the open door of school for it just being school. And then you go to college and no one ever just grabs hold of it. It's, just, it's college. This is God's opportunity in my life. Even though they lead somewhere else, we're so busy looking for that next step on the accumulation scale that we never actually embrace the open door of where we are right now. Jesus is Today, Pastor Daniel shared that Jesus revealed himself through the church in Philadelphia, that there was no rebuke for this church. This is definitely the church we want to be identified with as believers in Jesus Christ. We want to be known as true. We learned today that can mean not fake or not genuine or not real. 
God doesn't want us to be posing as his followers. He wants us to experience the joy of truly following him. For most of us, our smartphone is an extension of our body. They are constantly ringing and dinging, telling us what to do and where to go next. We want to encourage you to subscribe to the Jesus is Real podcast. Each week, the programs right here on the radio are available in podcast format. So if you miss one of the broadcasts, you can always catch up by subscribing to the Jesus is Real podcast. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will share some insights about art. I know that seems kind of strange, but stop and think about some of the things you've heard about people who sculpt things out of rock, the masters of old. They all have said that they see the completed sculpture and just need to remove what's in the way. We'll learn that Jesus is doing the exact same thing in our lives. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series entitled Case Study next time. Until then, may God bless.